Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, with my man, Jason Spears, and it's time for our For the Culture 2021 draft review and our way-too-early initial draft grades. We'll grade each player. We've already graded Quiddy Pay and Dio during our draft player profiles, but we'll grade them again. We'll go through all seven picks, and then we'll give our final draft grade for Chris Ballard's 2021 Indianapolis Colts draft class. So very excited about this. We let it marinate for about two weeks now, so we feel good. We feel confident, comfortable with this draft class. Plus, the only real hole we had following the draft was the starting left tackle, which we have filled with the signing of Eric Fisher. So we feel great right now about this roster, where this team is. Schedule came out yesterday. Feel good and optimistic about that. So getting into the first pick, Jason, Quiddy Pay, 21st overall edge rusher, Michigan, Love this pick. I absolutely love this pick. We knew pre-draft that this was the number one guy that the Colts saw at 21. It was either quitty pay or trade back. And if you guys watched the With the Next Pick series, the Colts, the War Room, Ballard, they were ecstatic when the Giants went wide receiver and quitty pay was still on the board at 21. They really couldn't believe it because that was the plan, like the ultimate plan A that they never really expected to play out played out perfectly and their favorite player at a position of need and a real value position at that with a defensive end just fell right into their lap with Quiddy Pay. So this is an A-plus pick for me. If the most important position on the field is the quarterback, the next two most important positions are either protecting your quarterback or getting after their quarterback. And Quiddy Pay is obviously an athletic upgrade immediately over... Justin Houston now he's going to have some rookie growing pains and he's going to have a lot to learn and he's definitely raw but as far as the prospect the athlete what you're getting a great guy he's going to fit the locker room to a T so I couldn't be happier with this first pick we needed a pass rusher we got a pass rusher immediately we got another one in the second round which we'll get to in a second but I love the quitty pay pick I'm going absolute a plus no question I didn't think there was any chance he was going to be there I thought either the Giants or the Dolphins would take him, but we lucked out, man. The, the board fell right, and the guy that we wanted all along from top to bottom in our organization, from Jim Irsay down, this is the guy everybody wanted, not only for his play on the field, but he's a character guy. I mean, he's a hard worker. He's a great football player, but he's also a great example for other young players. So you bring that into the locker room, and I expect him to be a day-one starter. I expect him to be a contributor from day one. There's no question that this is the guy everybody wanted, and I think he's going to flourish in this defense. I think he's going to make a big difference. You can move him around. There's so many things you can do with him. He's got a nonstop motor. He plays hard. I mean, you can listen to the draft profile, but the bottom line is this guy's a Colt through and through, and it's a home run pick. I mean, really, I thought there was almost no chance he'd be there, and then there he is sitting there at 21, and as soon as I saw that the Giants were taking a receiver, I was like, yep, that he's our guy. Absolutely. And then in the second round, the Colts double dip at the edge spot with Dio Odengbo out of Vanderbilt, another edge rusher. So we needed a couple and you can never have enough. So we go back to back edge rushers with Pay, and now Dio. We lose Danico Autry. He goes off to the Tennessee Titans. Justin Houston kind of looked, I don't want to say washed, but he was not himself the final five weeks plus playoffs last season. He obviously was slowing down towards the end of the year. He wasn't very productive, didn't have, I don't think he had any sacks the final five weeks of the season. He had a great game last year against 
the Houston Texans a three-sack game. And I would say overall, his two-year deal in Indianapolis was very successful. I thought he had a great season in 2019, decent start-middle portion of the season last year, and then really slowed down as the season came to a halt. And I don't think it should be a surprise to anybody that he's still a free agent looking for a spot. I hope he finds a home for the 2021 season. I'd love to see him get another shot and see if he could be productive as maybe a third down guy or something like that. But we get so much more athletic now at the two edge spots. And the big question was at the time of this pick, well, they go back to back edge rushers. They don't have a third round pick. Then they go tight end in the fourth round. Where's the left tackle? Now we saw that plan come to fruition post-draft with the signing of Eric Fisher. So it makes this pick, in my opinion, look even better because next year we're probably not going to have a first-round pick. So if Dio is not 100% ready to go this year and he's 100% in 2022 and the Colts did have elite first-round grade on him before the torn Achilles injury, this is almost next year's first-round pick. You could look at it like that as well. And the next year we'll draft our franchise left tackle in the second round to eventually replace, maybe even sit, a year behind Eric Fisher and eventually replace Fisher as our franchise left tackle. So another great pick for the Colts, another edge rusher, position of need, premier position, a guy they had a first-round grade on before he got injured. I'm going with a solid A, and if he gets healthy and he's healthy this year, could be another A+. 100%. And this guy, Dio Odangbo, is, uh, he is a explosive player. Very long, 6'5". Long wingspan. He is going to eat people alive once he gets healthy. I give this. I give this absolutely an A. The Colts have loved him from March. I know he was in their top five, and they love him. And they're gonna. And they're. And here's the thing that, that I respect about Ballard. He's not going to rush this guy. As good as he is, he's not going to screw up the beginning of his career by trying to rush him back. And I respect that. So even if we don't get anything, and and I and, and I'll be honest, I do think we're going to get something out of him. This season, I don't know when it will be, but even worst case scenario, this is a red shirt year. This guy has everything that you want. He can do it all. He can get off double teams. He doesn't stay blocked. I mean, when you watch that Vandy film, he was surrounded by guys that were not nearly as good as him. So every team that played them basically double and triple teamed him, and he still found a way to make plays. So this guy's underrated. It's one of those Chris Ballard specials where no one really like reminds me of Julian Blackman. Some people, there was a guy, I think, who was it that said Julian Blackman was the late art or whatever said he was the worst player in the Utah secondary. We drafted the worst player in the Utah secondary. What I am sure he said something (laughs) about Dio being trash too. These guys, these draft experts, they're not experts. They're not right on everything. So I love this pick. A lot of people didn't like it. I loved it. I loved it from the jump. And the guy is just, I mean, Morocco Brown described him in, in with the first pick uh, series as a hurricane. And that's how he plays. He's so friggin' big and his arms are so long. This guy is going to be a major problem. Then you think about that in Grover Stewart and Buck. I mean, Buck is one of the top three, maybe two, you know, three techs in the league. And then you got Quiddy. I mean, you got basically four guys that play their asses off at all times there is no get back down there's no we give up none of that in these players so you're gonna have four dogs chasing your quarterback so I love both these picks home runs from Ballard and uh yeah if you're if you're an AFC South quarterback 
talent AFC quarterback, you ain't going to want to see this defense next year. I'll tell you that. No, you will not. As the Colts go back-to-back edge rushers, first round, second round, no pick in the third round. That pick went to Philadelphia. In the fourth round, Kylan Granson, tight end SMU, position of need. Frank Reich pre-draft, it was his number one position of need on the offensive side of the ball. He really wanted a third tight end in the tight end room. We had Doyle Ebron Cox. We had Doyle Burton Cox the last couple of years. He wanted that third tight end to replace Burton. He gets that now in Kylan Granson. So you bring in an athletic tight end who could take that seam who could make things happen in the middle of the field, be a vertical threat, which you didn't really have last year with the three tight ends. You had it with Ebron in 18 and 19. We were kind of lacking that offensively last year. So he gives you a dynamic look now to the offense. If you get Paris Campbell back healthy, the receiver position becomes more dynamic. Now with Granson, the tight end position becomes more dynamic. At the quarterback position, I don't know if Carson's going to be an immediate upgrade, but he definitely has a higher ceiling than Phillip Rivers. And without a doubt, he's obviously more athletic. So he's more dynamic at the quarterback position, getting Marlon Mack back healthy and just having Jonathan Taylor come into his second season. We're going to see November, December, Jonathan Taylor. We're not going to see September, October, Jonathan Taylor. So the running back position, the receiver position, the tight end position, the quarterback position, We are a more dynamic offense this year across the board. And a big reason why at the tight end position is the addition of Kylan Granson in the fourth round. So I think this is a solid B plus A minus pick and great value. The value of the player in the fourth round makes me think this is more of an A minus pick. So I love this pick again. The first three picks executed to perfection i'm going b plus but as far as the first three picks go combined i'm still in that a to a plus territory yeah i had there's a lot of people that compare him to to trey burton that i've seen i i I mean there's some similarities there but uh and and another thing also like a lot of the the pre-draft box stuff had this guy like in the fifth sixth or seventh round and I think they were looking at him wrong. This guy's a move tight end. He's not going to be a blocking tight end. So you're gonna you're gonna see him in the slot. You're gonna see him out at the boundary. They're gonna use. They're gonna move him around. And to me, he was the second best receiving tight end in this draft. Other than I mean, Pitts is on another level, and obviously no one compares to him. But as far as move tight ends and guys that you can do different things with, this guy's a stud. He catches the ball. It really. People were saying he's got bad hands. He really had. One horrible game in college against Cincinnati that I think everybody will go back and watch now probably uh, where he dropped a bunch of passes and and that can happen. You could have games where he just, it gets in your head and you drop, but he's not, he's not Ebron. Like he doesn't drop passes like that. He's got good hands and then he's great after the catch. I mean, he can, he can make plays. He can run four, five, two, you know, he's physical after the, you know, after the catch, he, he's just a guy that I think will add another dimension to this offense. And I think he'll add it immediately. Uh, I, it's an A pick for me. I, I know a lot of people thought he was overdrafted or maybe drafted too high. I did not think that I always thought this kid was special in the, in the passing game. And that's what we're going to use him. We have, you know, we have Doyle, and we have Mo, and those guys are really solid blockers. So you can use this guy as a move tight end, and like you know, and basically use them in packages. You know, certain packages to move the ball. And I know Frank loves this guy, and they're going to find a way to get him on the field and get him, you know, in, integrated into this offense. 
in this upcoming season. So I think, you know, I told you this off air, Luke. I thought these first three picks were absolute home runs, A picks all the way around. Obviously, there's, a, you know, the Achilles with Dio and, you know, Granson played a little lower competition at Rice and then at SMU. But, I mean, when you look at the film, all three of these guys are really, really special players. And those are the value picks, right? You want to hit in the first, second, fourth rounds this year. We don't have that third round pick. You want to hit those value picks. And initially, it looks like Ballard knocked those first three picks out of the park. And you're talking about starting caliber players. You're talking about two defensive ends that you pencil in for the next five years as your starting edge rushers. Kyle Granson, probably not this year because you still have Doyle, who's a multiple-time Pro Bowl guy, a veteran guy, who will be your starter. Cox been in the system for a couple of years, continuing to improve and has some incredible athletic traits. But Kyle Granson, a guy down the line, you could see him starting in this offense. So you're looking at three starting caliber players, I would say, by the year 2023. You could see these three guys being everyday starters for the Colts. Then you start to address the depth. And we talked about this. I talked about it again yesterday in the Eric Fisher podcast. Ballard after the fourth round started to address, and you could say even in the fourth round, right? Kyle Granson's a depth piece right now as far as the tight end room goes. And in these middle rounds, Ballard was addressing depth at positions he didn't address depth in free agency or didn't address enough in free agency. Why didn't he go tackle in the middle rounds? Because he viewed those tackles as backup tackles, and he already addressed that with signings like Sam Tevy, who's an upgrade over LaRaven Clark and Chaz Green. Then, after the draft, because he didn't draft a tackle in the first or second round, he signed a guy to start in 2021. So now, you're looking at these picks, and you're grading them differently. You're not grading Sean Davis as your starting safety, because you have Julian Blackman going into year two, and you have Kari Willis going into year three. So you're viewing him a little bit differently, because he's coming in to play special teams, he's coming in as a depth piece, for the safety room. So in the fifth round, taking everything into consideration, knowing that now you're drafting depth and you have pretty much with Eric Fisher signed, you have all 22 starters by the time the fifth round starts, really by the time the fourth round starts. So in the fifth round, the Colts at 165 draft Sean Davis out of Florida. So it's our second Sean Davis of the offseason to play safety for the Colts. We signed the one guy from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And now Sean Davis out of Florida. Another depth piece, another depth pick for the Colts in the fifth round of the draft. Sean Davis out of Florida to come in, play special teams, back up Kari Willis, back up Julian Blackman with his versatility back there. Another solid pick for the Colts. I would go with a solid B minus as you're rounding out the back half of this roster. Yeah, I mean, this guy is going to be a good special teams player. I know the coaches liked him and, and Ballard liked him because of his physicality at the position of safety. I'd give this a B. I think he's got the upside to be somebody that, you know, you bring in as a third safety. You know, he can do a lot of different things. He's interchangeable. He can kind of play free or strong. But my issues with Sean really are concerns with his tackling. To play in this defense, you have to be a very good tackler, a very technically sound tackler. And I'm not trying to get caught up in the minutia of the player, but I'm just trying to give a fair breakdown here. He is very inconsistent with his with his tackling. He leads with his helmet, which is something that's very concerning to me. They have got to coach that out of him. But the good things about him are he makes splash plays. He may, I mean, he comes up with some big-time plays. He is very, very physical, and I think he fits the defense. So 
the further you get along in these in a draft with any draft, most of the time, the guy, you know, the guys start to have some some issues that you see on tape. That was the case with Sean Davis. But again, we have two starters. I think this guy can de- develop into a solid guy. Like if, if there's an injury, he can come in and he can play well. I don't think it's out of the question that this guy sees the field this year if there's an injury, because I think there's a lot to like about him. But there are things that he has to get coached up and coach things that have to be coached out of him leading with the head being the number one thing. Cause that's going to get him hurt and it's going to get a lot of other people hurt. So uh, and he was ejected, I think in one game last year for targeting. And that's just a constant issue with him. If you watch him on tape. So uh, I do like the pick. It gives us depth at safety. It gives us an interchangeable player that fits our style of play. They love his physicality. The big issue, like I said, he's got to get better at tackling more consistent, He's a very inconsistent young player, but that's typical uh, of players, uh, especially the ones you get in the fifth round. So I, I, overall grade B, because I think he's going to be a really solid special teams guy. And I think in the long run, over the long haul, you're going to see this kid develop into a, a really good football player. But the first, you know, the first year or two are probably going to be mostly on special teams. So I give it a B. I think you'll see more of a payoff down the road. Then in the sixth round, the Colts go quarterback, which I think caught everybody off guard. They go quarterback in the sixth round with Sam Ellinger out of Texas. And my prayers go out to Sam and his family, the entire Ellinger family, and the Longhorn community there with that program and that school with the passing of Sam's brother last week, which was just absolutely heartbreaking to learn about and read about last week on Twitter. So my heart goes out to them and everything that family's dealing with right now, which is much more important than football. So again, my heart goes out to them thoughts and prayers with the Ellinger family. But in the sixth round, the Colts go backup quarterback competition for Jacob Eason. And this is a tough pick for me to grade because you're not really grading the player. You're more so grading the impact he'll have in terms of the competition between him and Jacob Eason. He could not make the roster, and this could be a great pick if this pick pushes Eason to be the best player he could be. If this pick pushes Jacob Eason to be the best teammate he could be and the best leader he could be and the best all-around player and the hardest worker he could be, that could all be thanks to Sam Ellinger, who might never make this roster. He might never play down in the National Football League, but he could still have a great impact. His pick could still go a long way in Indianapolis just by pulling the most out of Jacob Eason. So I like Sam. I like this pick. I like the impact it'll have because one way or another, either he's going to make the roster over Eason, which improves the backup quarterback, or he's going to push Eason to be the best player he could be, and then Eason will enter the season as the best backup quarterback he could be. So no matter what this pick, in my opinion, increases the production of the backup quarterback spot. Because one way or another, you're going to get better just based off the competition that this pick's going to provide. So I like this pick. I don't think I could go with an A or an A minus because it's still a backup quarterback who might have no effect on this year's team if we never see him or Eason play a snap, but he could still have an impact in practice and the future of Jacob Eason's career in Indianapolis. So I'm going to give this a solid B plus. It's a late round pick. It's a sixth round pick. Plus there was a trade back in there. So we traded back to make this pick and then we got an additional seventh round pick from the New Orleans Saints. So it's not like we took Sam Ellinger in the third or fourth round where it would be an awful pick. We took him in the sixth round 
elite sixth round pick. I think like the third or fourth to last pick in the sixth round. So that justifies the selection. I'm going with a solid B plus for Sam Ellinger. And I can't wait to the preseason because I want to see him and I want to see Jacob Eason battle it out in the three preseason games. Yeah, I'm going to give it a B. I've thought about this a lot. I agree with you. I think that at the, at the bare minimum, he's going to push Easton. They're not just going to hand him the backup job. Uh, and they wanted somebody to come in here and really, you know, with a, with a strong character, somebody that's a, a real leader, that's really going to push him. And they, and they got that guy. I mean, Sam Ellinger is one of the best character draft picks as far as leading his team, getting them in the right position and just being a great leader. Uh, I actually think he's going to make the team and I'll tell you why. I think they're going to use him, and this is just my opinion. I haven't heard anything. There's no inside info on this. This is just my opinion. But I think they're going to use him similar as the way they used Jacoby last year. They're going to, you know, probably run him a little bit, move him around, because you don't want somebody like Carson Wentz taking those hits. He's had injury issues, and if you're going to to run some, you know, different packages or whatever, you're going to want somebody in there that not is, I'm not saying he's disposable. He's, you know, no one is really disposable in the league, but somebody that has got more experience doing that. Sam Ellinger is a very strong runner. He's physical. He can throw on the run, something Joe Jacoby could not do. This guy is really good at it. So I actually do think he's going to make the team. I think there's a real good chance they carry three quarterbacks because I know they like the upside of what he can do in the red zone. And they really love this kid. I mean, and prayers to his family, man. They, they've been going through it. And uh, horrible to hear about his his brother, man. That's that's terrible. I hate to bring that up, but that was in the news recently. And we all hear it for the culture. Our prayers go out to his family. He's a great his, – he's got a great family, and he's a great kid. That's terrible. But as far as just the football stuff, I, I just think he's – somebody that you really need in your locker room that he's the type of guy that people rally around if you look at his film in texas they really love them there you know he did a great job there he's got way more i mean truth be told he's got way more experience than jacob eason has he played basically four years at texas put up insane numbers and jacob eason's really not that experienced so it's it's gonna be a battle for, between those two it's not just gonna be you know, they give the job to Jacob Eason. They're, they brought this kid in to compete. He's certainly going to do that. In the end, I give him, a, I give it a B because you could have won another direction probably and got more depth, but I understand the pick. And in the worst case scenario, the kid doesn't make the team. You probably get him back on the practice squad and, you know, you've pushed Jacob Eason to be even better than he is. So I don't see how you can really give it a negative grade, especially when you're getting somebody of this guy's character in the sixth round. And I think it was the back end of the sixth round. And so, and so like you get a guy – with his production, and not at a small school, at Texas, 94 touchdowns, 27 picks, 33 rushing touchdowns in four years, and then with his leadership, and, I mean, I don't know how you give it a bad grade. You could not like the pick, I guess, but the kid is – he's the real deal, and I think he's going to push Eason, and I think it's a good pick, man. I, I don't I don't get wrapped up in stuff like, you know, why did we do this, why did we do that, when we're talking about late sixth, seventh, because – you have to, you, you got to, sometimes you got to take chances. Sometimes you got to take risks and the best place to do that back end of the draft, man, you have nothing to lose. It's not like you're doing this in the second round. You know what I mean? So 
I like this pick. I'd say B or B plus for a lot of different reasons that I've outlined. And I'm excited to see those two go at it in, in training camp, to be quite honest with you, because, man, I've missed preseason football, Luke. <laughs> I know. You never thought you would utter those words. But, yeah, I do miss preseason football after last year. And this year, there's actually a lot to be optimistic about in the preseason or a lot to look forward to in the preseason because you're going to have a battle of quarterbacks at the backup spot. And it's not like, okay, we're going to have Curtis Painter battling Scott Tolzien for the backup roles. Like, no, we actually have two young quarterbacks, hand-selected, picked by Ballard in the draft, which means both guys must have something in them, right? If Ballard likes you, if Ballard is going to use a draft pick on you and not just wait till the undrafted free agents, well, then you must be pretty good. There must be something there that he sees in you, right? And I think you brought up an interesting point, Jason, about the experience because it's twofold. You could really look at it both ways. In college, in terms of starting games and playing games in college, Sam Ellinger is by far the more experienced quarterback because Easton got hurt at Georgia, he transferred to Washington, he had to sit out at Washington, he didn't really play a lot of college football. But as far as NFL experience, he has a full year, not of playing games, so it's consistent with the theme where he really hasn't played a lot of football since high school. But last year, he has the experience of being under Phillip Rivers, under Jacoby Brissett, in the Frank Reich offense, going up against NFL defenses in practice. So he has all that experience. Sam Ellinger has all the playing experience from college. So it's interesting how they each bring experience to the table, but in a totally different way. Yeah, well, I would say I would say Sam brings, you know, high-level college experience uh, and actual football reps experience, whereas Jacob is more of a classroom experience, which – at the end of the day, you could have as much classroom experience as you want, but you got to do it on the field. But I will give you that he's been in the system for a year, so he's got that advantage. Yeah, and it's definitely interesting to think about, and it should be a fun competition. So let the best backup quarterback win. Let the best quarterback win and back up Carson Wentz in 2021. So it doesn't matter if you were drafted last year in the fourth round, this year in the sixth round. You go into this clean slate, let the best man win. In the seventh round, a pick that I am – very intrigued by. You have this six foot five wide receiver who runs a four three in Mike Strawn. This guy dominated Division II football at Charleston. He had 19 touchdowns last season before the pandemic season where they didn't play a lot of games, or I don't think they played at all, but his last season he scored 19 touchdowns, went to the West Virginia Pro Day, dominated the Big 12 West Virginia Pro Day. So this guy is a very intriguing prospect. The fact that the Colts made that trade back. They got the extra pick from New Orleans, and they made sure to get this guy in the seventh round. They didn't want to wait till the undrafted free agents. He possesses things that you can't teach. You can't teach that size. You can't teach that size-speed combination. I am very excited to see him in the preseason as well, get out there on the practice field and see what he's made out of because he hasn't faced anything close to the competition he'll see in the National Football League. So, This is a lottery ticket pick, a total lottery ticket gamble of a pick, but it's like a $1 lottery ticket where you could hit for $100,000, a million dollars because you're taking them in the seventh round. You're not taking a first-round lottery pick or a second-round lottery pick. You're taking a seventh-round lottery pick. This is a glorified undrafted free agent, but you're securing him in the seventh round. So I can't wait to see what Mike Strong could be. He could be anywhere from a nothing to an A++++ pick. And I'm going with a high pick. I don't know what I could possibly give this guy because you just don't really know. But as far as the prospect goes, like – The things, the intangible things he has, like that size, that speed, 
it's one of my favorite picks in the entire draft because you can't lose. If you miss, if you totally whiff and you cut him during training camp, you miss on a seventh-round pick. If he's what he could be and he hits his full potential and he's a stud in the National Football League, that's one of the best picks Chris Ballard will ever make. Just like Grover Stewart, finding Grover Stewart at Albany State, even EJ Speed, he's more of a special teams, backup, depth kind of guy right now. But this pick reminds me of that pick because he went D3, and he did that in the fifth round. He went D3, he found EJ Speed, who had certain type of measurables you just don't find everywhere. He was a freak athlete. He's made this roster now two years in a row. This will be his third year in a row making the roster coming out of Tarleton or wherever he came out of a Division three school in Texas. So I like this pick a lot. I'm going B+. This could be an anything pick. This could be a nothing pick. This could be a home run pick. I love the gamble. It's a $1 lottery ticket. You're in the Mega Millions. So I love this pick. Mike Strawn, unfortunately, you can't really find tape on him. The highlights were impressive. The numbers were very impressive. He looks like a man amongst boys. So we will see what he is, and he's definitely a player. I'm going to have Circle going into training camp and going into the preseason. Absolutely a lottery ticket pick. I mean, this guy has elite speed for his – I mean, six five four three. That's the first thing that kind of blows you away. You know, I heard a lot about his, his combine at West Virginia where he worked out with a lot of other guys, and he looked like, again, like a man amongst boys. He, he just dominated the combine. And our area scout went there and was blown away by him and, and uh, went back and watched film and was like, wow, this guy's the real deal. They really like him. And obviously they, they drafted him. I'm, I'm saying things everyone already, already knows. But um, my thing with him is if you watch his film, he does things that big guys have trouble doing. Like, for instance, you know, tracking the deep ball on a vertical route over your head. Like that's very you have to be really coordinated to be able to do that as a six five guy especially when you're running so fast four three to be able to track the ball into your hands on a deep on a deep vertical route where the ball's like coming over your head and being able to do that he can do it and he's got solid hands he's intriguing and i give this pick an a because to me i mean these i mean just looking at his his production notwithstanding because of who he played against, but you look at his traits, 6'5", I think he's 230, runs 4'3". Now, I don't I, I don't think they're going to move him to tight end. People have asked me about that because of his insane size. Maybe they do, but, I mean, this kid plays on the outside, and, and he, I mean, he's just physical. He can get, you know, he, he can box corners out. I mean, he's got that. He can jump. I mean, he's he's very raw. Of course, because he's from a small school and obviously the coaching isn't as good. The talent you're playing isn't as good, but his talent is unquestioned. So another guy I'm excited to see play because I want to see if he can make the adjustment and how because it's going to be an adjustment, obviously, from playing that level of competition to coming up and playing the greatest athletes in the world as far as the NFL. It's it's a huge adjustment for him, and I want to see how fast he can make that adjustment because he has the physical traits to be able to do it. It's just a question of, okay, can he put that, what he's done in the past, into action against these players he's going to see in training camp? That's the big question. I think this kid has a shot. I don't think – I don't know how great a shot it is to make the roster. I haven't seen him 
actually play. But, I, I mean, those traits jump out at you. And so I do think he's got a shot to be on the roster. And if he plays well in, in training camp and in preseason, the Colts won't hesitate. They'll keep him on the roster. Because um, it's rare you find a 6'5 guy that runs 4'3 and just – I mean, he's got so so many really great skills for a big man. I'm sure you guys are probably getting tired of hearing me say I'm excited. But, I mean, just all these players excite me. There's something about every one of these guys that excites me as a fan. So – um, I like the pick. I, I think it's a, a low risk, super high reward pick. You know, if he doesn't turn anything, you know, it's like at most seventh round picks, it doesn't turn anything. But this guy, his upside is through the roof. So you make the pick. Hope you get your, your coaches can get their hands on him and and really bring out all the positive things that he has within him. And he seems like a great kid too, on top of everything else. And we always, you know talk about character and 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 these guys all are high character guys and this guy's no different so i know he's going to come in and work hard bust his tail try to do everything he can to make the team it's just a matter of how fast he can adjust that's really the bottom line here because this kid has all the traits to be an nfl receiver yep and then in the seventh round with our seventh and final selection of the 2021 draft we take Will Fries, a guard out of Penn State, and unlike the Strawn pick, which was a total lottery ticket of a seventh-round pick, with Fries, you had a fourth-round grade on him, and a lot of people had higher grades than where he was taken. Doesn't have any off-the-field problems. It didn't really make sense why he fell all the way to the seventh round, and we were joking about off-air, you thought he was off the board because by Saturday on day three of the draft, nobody's paying attention. You're doing other things, and you're just kind of keeping an eye on the television you're checking your notifications, but you're not up to date on every pick like you are in the first, second, and even third rounds on day three that Saturday. So you thought he was off the board. He's still on the board, and the Colts make that pick in the seventh round, adding depth to the interior spots along the offensive line with Will Fries. So this was a really solid pick. It's not a lottery pick. A lot of times seventh round picks are with Will Fries. You're getting great value in the seventh round because you're getting pretty much an as good as advertised type of guy and you're getting what could be Mark Lewinsky's replacement in the near future. So I like this pick a lot as far as the value goes because you're getting a fourth, fifth round caliber player in the seventh round. The value's off the charts making this, in my opinion, an A caliber pick. Yeah, I, I like this kid a lot, and I think this might be my favorite pick of the draft just because you got a guy who I think literally – I re- realistically think he could start at right guard next year. I like him that much. I, I just – he is, again – like, all these picks make sense. Like, that's the thing. with When I was I was on another show talking about our, our, our draft, and I graded it, and people were thinking I was crazy, but when you look at all these picks, they make sense. This pick makes sense. This guy fits exactly the type of mentality that we have on our offensive line. He's a mauler. He destroys people. He he reminds me he's not Quentin Nelson, okay? But his play style reminds me of Quentin Nelson. He like he once he blocks you, you stay blocked. He will pancake you. He'll drive you to the ground and play through the echo of the whistle. And I love guys like that. And that's how he is. And you can play him at, at guard. You can play him in a pinch at right tackle. So you've got position flexibility and he can hold up. I think he's better at guard because I think he's a little better in short area space because he has a little bit of a problem with, with edge rushers, with speed. So you can play him at right tackle. I think he can get better there. 
I do think he can get better there. But when I look at him, I look at him as an inside player, interior offensive line that just, I mean, is just wearing people out. And so there's things he needs to get better at. But yeah, I had a fourth round grade on him. I was one of those people was like, wait, he's on the board? Because I, I don't know of any really significant injury issues or character issues or anything. So, you know, when I saw that that was their pick, I was shocked. I was shocked because I definitely thought he was gone. So, man, another pick I love might be my favorite for the value. I think it might be my favorite pick because I had no idea this guy was still on the board. And I still have no idea why he was still on the board because he's a good football player. You watch his Penn State film. He's outstanding, man. He can move around. I mean, they played him at left tackle, left guard, right guard, right tackle. They moved him around a lot. So he can play everywhere in a pinch. I would, I definitely wouldn't want to play him at left tackle. He's not built for that. But, um, you know, right tackle for sure. He could he definitely give you snaps there. And and right guard, I, I just think, uh, yeah, he, he, he can do the job. I, if they don't re-sign Glowinski, I would not be shocked if Will Fries was a starter there next year. Yeah, not me neither. And that brings us to our final draft grade. You take all seven picks, you add it up, you divide by seven. It's tough for me to go with a letter, so I'm going to go with a number. I'm going 95 out of 100. I thought initially, without seeing these guys on the field, without seeing them playing, as far as a rookie class goes, two weeks after the draft, this, in my opinion, is the best Ballard draft to date because I don't see any reaches. I don't see a pick that I can't justify. Even Sam Ellinger, I could totally justify that you want to bring in competition for Jacob Eason. So there's no head scratcher. There's no pick where I'm like, why did he do this in the first round? Why did he do this in the second round? That trade didn't make sense. Why'd you give up all that to only move up two spots? There was none of that. Everything made sense. The trade back made sense. I could justify each and every pick made in this draft. The only question mark we could have had leaving the draft was the left tackle, and I probably was going to go with a 91 or 92 out of 100, but now that we signed Eric Fisher, it does change my grade. It honestly does because that question was since answered. It was answered by signing Eric Fisher to the one-year deal and going out earlier in the offseason making signings to add depth to the tackle room and the offensive line room. So, I could justify each and every pick made, and I think we could honestly have maybe four starters come from this draft class down the line. You're going to have Quiddy Pay day one, Dio when he's healthy, that's two starters. In a couple years after Jack Doyle moves on and we move on from Doyle, Granson's going to be a starting tight end. I don't know if Cox is ever going to be that because I just don't know if he's complete enough as a football player, but... Cox could make spot starts. I don't know if he's a long-term starter like Granson has the capability of being. And then I think Will Fries in the seventh round, our final pick, could be the starter at right guard in a couple years next year for Mark Lewinsky. So right there, that's four starters. Solid depth with Sean Davis. Backup quarterback competition with Sam Ellinger. And hell, Mike Strong could turn into a starting wide receiver at 6'5", running a 4'3". If he could develop, you could have five starters from this draft class. So I'm a big fan of this class. I love that we attacked and then double attacked the edge spot. We weren't going to just be satisfied after Quiddy Pay. We went back in. We double dipped with Dio. So I love this class. And there's a lot of people criticizing this draft. I don't get it. I could justify each and every pick Ballard made 
I could say why I think he made that pick, what the plan is in the future. And the only question mark again I had was left tackle, which I thought was because we had a veteran option penciled in post-draft, and that's exactly what happened. Now we sign Eric Fisher, and we have 22 out of 22 starters, plus we add quality depth up and down this roster, both in free agency and now in the draft. So I'm happy. I'm going with a 95 out of 100. That is an A. I like this class a lot, and I can't wait to see them get on the field. I know they just had the rookie mini camp. I can't wait until OTAs, training camp, the preseason, and then, of course, the season to watch these guys go out there and do their thing. Chris Ballard is known for drafting guys who make an immediate impact, especially on the defensive side of the ball. We have seen it with Darius Leonard. We saw it last year with Julian Blackman. Offensively, we saw it last year with Jonathan Taylor. We saw it later in the season also with Michael Pittman Jr. So I can't wait to see these guys get out there, especially Quiddy Pay, because we're going to need an immediate impact from Pay. The other guys we can wait on, Pay needs to be an immediate impact player for this team. He's going to be a day one starter. I'm going with a 95 out of 100. Yeah, and it's funny, Luke. I, I looked at a, a graph that had the top 30 quote-unquote draft analysts, and we most of them gave us a C. A couple of them gave us Ds. Yeah, I, I I don't understand that, but for me, just I, I thought most of these picks outside of Sean Davis and Sam Ellinger, I gave B's to everyone else. I gave an A, and Quiddy, I gave an A plus, and so I give the draft uh, an A. Obviously, I don't think you're going to see the immediate impact of the back end guys. I think that's going to be more special teams and developmental stuff, and it's going to be a couple years. So I, when I say A, I'm not saying expect like expect an A next year. It's, it's a three-year thing. So in three years, check back. But as far as just initially, I mean, Quiddy pays a home run. Dio is a home run to me. Kylan Granson is a home run. Will Fries is a home run. Strawn is a friggin' lottery ticket. You know, and then you get Davis special teams player and Ellinger who can be a guy they use in, in sub packages. So you got something for everyone. And you and all these, all these picks I would defend against anybody that crapped on this draft. I can defend every one of them. If you've listened to the – you know, the breakdowns when we did the, the player profiles, I, I gave you the reasons. And I tried to give you the reasons again in this in this show. There's very good reasons for all these picks. And so as long as you can, you know, validate your picks with reasoning and, and facts, which the Colts can, I, I think it makes sense. I think the draft makes sense. I think it's a great draft. I think it's going to be that one of those drafts down the line that you say, wow, they really missed the boat on that one because that was the draft that really helped them get over the hump. Because I'm telling you, those first three players are, I really believe, can be special, especially the first two. Granson, I think, maybe more of a a niche player, maybe more of a you know package player, move tight end. Like I don't necessarily think he's ever going to be a good enough blocker to be a starter. I could be wrong, but I, I mean, who knows? But I do know he's going to make a, a, a big impact. Whether I mean, and I think he can make an impact. Like I said, I think he can make an impact next year in the red zone and just over the middle and the seams making plays, but his real, I think his real good years are, are probably a couple years away. And then those first two guys just home runs. So yeah, man, a I've stopped doubting the guy. I've stopped doubting Ballard. He he's, yep. he's, this is what he does. He kills it. This is what he does. This is he, he builds his team through the draft and then he, you know, incorporates smaller level free agents into what he's doing. And for the most part, that's what's worked. He, the one issue we've had is we just have not had a consistent pass rush and we have not had 
a consistent quarterback. We've had Jacoby Brissett two of the four years he's been here. So now we've got the quarterback who I think will be a lot better than people think. And we've got the left tackle who's, who's fine. He'll, he'll be, I'm sure he'll be back probably in October at the latest. So that's good. And then you've got the depth on the offensive line. And now you've got, you've attacked the, the, the biggest need on defense. We said edge, 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 edge. And I was pissed early in the off season when he didn't do anything after he said he was going to go out and sign big name guys, he didn't do it. Well, now this works out the way it does. So it's all good. It's it, th- this is even better because we're getting them as puppies. We're not getting them halfway to the glue factory. We're getting them as puppies so we can grow these guys the way we want to grow these guys and they can, you know, develop into full Colts. So, you know, I love, I, I like what they did. Like I said, good reasoning for every pick. I understand every pick as opposed to maybe like the five, the, the, the entire career of Ryan Grigson where I never understood any of his picks. So it's, it's nice to kind of remember how lucky we are to have Chris Ballard as opposed to Ryan Grigson you know, run it, you know, running the show. Cause that was, ugh, it was a train wreck. And I, I like to keep that in perspective for people. That's true. You know, Grease Stain Grigson was a train wreck, man. People forget how bad he was. Yeah. No, Grease Stain Grigson was a train wreck in Indianapolis. That 2013 draft class, that 2014 draft class, as bad as humanly possible. You really, if you just went based on Mel Kuyper's board or you just played any mini money mo, you would draft better than Grigson did in 13 and 14. Those classes were historically bad. But to the critics, the people criticizing Ballard, have they not learned their lesson? Have they not learned from criticizing Bleacher Report calling Darius Leonard the worst pick of the 2018 draft? He turned out to be the best pick in terms of value in the 2018 draft. Nobody after the first round is a three-time All-Pro in the 2018 draft. The only other three-time All-Pro is probably Quinn Nelson, who Ballard also drafted when they said, you can't take a guard that high. And then Braden Smith, and that class was out of this world. Good, unlike Grigson, out of this world bad with 13 and 14. And then last year, Julian Blackman with the ACL, he got criticized for that. We criticized him, me and you criticized him for the Jonathan Taylor pick. That was an absolute home run pick last year. Michael Pittman Jr. looked like a great pick, and he was like the 12th receiver off the board because there was such a run last year on wide receivers. So Ballard's pretty good at this whole drafting thing. I think you'd be a fool to doubt his ability in the draft. And the fact that people are, I think, is crazy. Plus, now we know how he thinks. I was not concerned about the tackle because I knew he would have a plan. I knew, okay, he addressed depth. Now he's going to go veteran after the draft. That's exactly what he did. Because after five years and five drafts and five off seasons, we know his tendencies. We know there's always a plan. If it's not plan A, it's going to be plan B. If it's not plan B, it's going to be plan C. I could justify every pick made in this draft, and I know, and I've done it in the past, and I regret it. I know if I cross Ballard, if I trash him for a pick it doesn't mean I have to agree with everything but I have to at least be able to see the logic behind why he did something and I could see the logic behind all seven of these picks so to all the experts quote-unquote experts giving him a c or a c plus or even a b minus they're gonna eat crow in a couple months when these guys are killing it on the field so we know that by now we know Ballard's tendencies we know how good he is at drafting scouting evaluating talent and we're very confident I know I'm very confident in this draft class. Can't wait to see him out on the field in training camp, in the preseason, and, of course, 
the regular season in September. The schedule was released yesterday. If you guys haven't checked out that podcast, go check out that podcast. That's my man, Jason Spears. I'm your host, Luke Diamond. We'll be back next week with more Colts content. We're trying to land a couple interviews, Colts PR. Sometimes that could be difficult, as you guys know, but we're trying to work around some things over there. We're trying to get some interviews for you guys with players and coaches and all that fun stuff. So keep it locked. We'll be back later this week with another podcast right here on the For the Culture Podcast.